Well, I'll just tell you this. If, uh, if you have not seen that movie, you, you want to watch it with viewer discretion. It's, it's very funny and filled with expletives. So that clip wasn't, so that's good. Uh, it's really fun. It, it, the funny thing in this movie, uh, I'll just tell you this. Uh, one of the things that happens is uh, he has a horse. The rich guy does. And uh, one night, out of, out of envy... Ben Stiller's character shoots him with a bow and arrow and kills him. <laughs> kind of not on purpose. But anyway, I think it's important. I just, as we get going this morning, I think it's important that you know a couple things. First of all, I have never uh, killed a horse <laughs> with a bow and arrow that belonged to a friend of mine out of envy. So that, I think that that's a good place to start from. As we get going. Um, but, you know, it, it's weird. As I started preparing for this, to, to, to talk about this today, um, at first I thought, well, you know, this isn't, apparently the church staff thinks I'm particularly qualified. The first one I get to speak on is envy. <laughs> so apparently I'm really good at speaking on envy for some reason. I don't know why that is. But um, I, at first I didn't really think I had a big issue with envy, Right? I'm like, I don't know. And so I sat and I thought about it for a little bit. And I, huh. The more I actually sat and thought about it, the more I realized that envy seeps into my life quite regularly. I, I, we were t- I was talking with Brad and some of the people on the arts team, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, talking about the greatest concerts ever. And I was in uh, Pontiac Silverdome. That's where the Pistons, uh, no, it was in the Palace, where the Pistons played. And uh, the In Excess, you guys remember In Excess? And, uh... So they were doing this concert, and it was just awesome. They were at the height of their career. And they have this song. I can't remember the name of it. You can live for a thousand years. You know that song? No. At one point in the song, anyway, it goes, and it stops. And the lights go black. But you know the song's not over. And they leave it black for like, I don't know, it seemed like forever. And the audience anticipation starts growing and people start hooting and whistling and cheering and everything. And at just the right moment, the band kicks back in for this really, really famous saxophone solo, which we don't do anymore in music. And <laughs> at just that moment, the saxophone player is on this huge stack of something that I'd never seen before and they hit him with the lights and he rocks this solo. And I remember thinking in that moment, oh, that's what I want to be, right there. I've always kind of wanted to be a rock star. I actually still do. And if Bob Dylan can do it, come on, serious. It's never, right? I mean, I think I at least can sing as well as him. But uh, anyway, I, it's a funny story. But there's, there's a little bit of truth in it where I actually really, really desired that moment in my life. I'll tell you another really funny thing about me is uh, that I, it's kind of weird, I, I, I'm a lawn guy. I love nice lawns. And I don't know if my neighbors know this, but there's a contest in our neighborhood to have the best <laughs> lawn. I'm holding the contest and I'm judging. And uh, I... You know, it's, it's really weird. When we lived in Michigan, we moved into this house, and we had to put our own lawn in, and all of our other neighbors, they spent thousands of dollars putting sod in. 
right? Well, I had a friend whose brother-in-law, I think, was a farmer. And he said, no, don't do that. Give me a soil sample. And so I gave him some of my sand, basically, is what it was. And he took it up, and they tested it. And they said, oh, for that, all you've got to do is here's your seed blend. So I took it to this place, Rochester Elevators, which, which uh, created seed uh, grass blends. I threw it on my grass. I had a better lawn than everyone for $200. <laughs> and uh, you know how they say the grass is greener over there? I'm pretty sure in the Greek, they're referring to my old house. <laughs> and, uh, um, but then we moved. And uh, I got to this house, which did not have that lawn. At all. At all. And so I've been working on that. And it's so interesting as I'm preparing for this. I get get an email yesterday of all days. You guys know Pete Braun, right? A lot of you know Pete. Uh, I think we have a copy of this email uh, that he sent me. And, And here it is. Yeah. It says, dare to have a lawn like this. Remember, thou shalt not covet. Do you got a, we think we have a picture of the lawn, actually? I have to say, quite honestly, that the lawn is quite fantastic. Look at the double cut on the angle and everything. I just, <laughs> wow. Perfect edges. Anyway, I don't have that lawn anymore, but I'm working on it. Um, but seriously, envy is a unique thing because... Um, we learn it early. It kind of transcends time. It, it's, it's almost innate. If you have children, I'm pretty sure at some point you've heard them say something like this. Mommy or daddy, they won't share with me, right? Not, not that's mine and I want it. It comes really quickly after they learn no, right? And uh, what, what are they saying in that moment? First of all, they're saying There's something that they have that belongs to them, and I'm somehow entitled to part of that, and they're not letting me into that part. And then what happens is I'm put in this weird position where I got a referee because I'm kind of agreeing a little bit. Yeah, there should be, I teach you to share, and there should be some sharing, and there's this, you know, it's kind of weird. But we learn it early on. We start to envy. You have something, I want it, I'm entitled to it. And it happens, you know, it happens, it doesn't, it's not just with kids, it happens, it doesn't, it doesn't respect religion as either, you know, it happens in churches, I'm jealous of this ministry because they've got more of this. Uh, people are probably jealous of the arts because we have hospitality with good food, right? We get the lights and all that kind of stuff. Churches envy each other. And I began to think even a little more deeply about how we all have to deal with envy, and I thought about this, brothers and sisters. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you either were or had the brother or sister who was kind of the favorite, you know? Oh my goodness, when I was this age, I never got that. Well, you deserve it, don't you? Huh? Or this is, how about this horrible, horrible? At a terrible time, you bury your parents. Your mother and father died. How many times have you seen sibling squabbles happen where people refuse, brothers and sisters refuse to continue in conversation because somehow one of them got something that someone else felt entitled to? Anyone, seriously, raise your hand. Has anyone ever seen or experienced anything like that? Yeah, like half of us. 
And that comes out of envy because we believe we're entitled to something that someone else has and we're not getting it. Look at moms, you hear them say things like, oh, you get to go to work today. I have to stay with the kids. I know none of you have ever said that. My wife either. Uh, and, and we look at even, even in jobs. Someone else has the position I want. Or why are they getting the raise and the promotion? And one of the most interesting things that I, that I realized was this. When I started thinking about envy, I realized something really unique. That sometimes I actually envy myself. Because I'm so great. No, what I mean by that is <laughs> I envy, I already said it, things that I used to have. My green lawn back in Michigan. And we moved in this great neighborhood back in Michigan. We had the best community. We would have barbecues to pig roasts together every year. And we played euchre. Half feet, most of you don't even know what euchre is. We'd play euchre once a month. And we'd go fishing and hunting together. It's a great community neighborhood. Let me ask you guys this. In today's economy, how many of you are wishing we could rewind the clock to the time before you had to take a 10% pay cut to keep your job? How many of you are envious of the fact that you don't have a job anymore? Times are tough. You may be losing your house. We deal with envy all of the time. We don't often take time to realize it, but we do. And the good news is this, that we're not the first people who have to deal with this issue. The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about this. And uh, I want to take a quick look at some verses here. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace, or a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's like cancer. It eats your bones. Wow, that's pretty horrible. Resentment, Job 5.2, resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. It brings death. Proverbs 23.17 says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Envy is like a cancer that destroys peace and rots us from the inside out. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking through the book, tracking through the book of James uh, with, and, and focusing on peace. And I want to take uh, a minute to just look a little more deeply into a passage that, that focuses and spends some significant time focusing on envy, specifically. It's James chapter 3. But before I do, I want to share a little bit of background about the book that I think sheds some light into this. First of all, James, and Ryan was sharing a little bit of this last week. James was Jesus' brother, and he didn't follow Christ. And then after Christ died and resurrected, went you know, back to heaven. James started, he, he became actually a leader in the church, specifically to the Jewish converts, people who were Jews and, and converted uh, to the Christian faith. And so he, he writes this letter to them to encourage them and tell them, hey, here, here's kind of a playbook for you guys, all right? This is what to expect. Here's what you should do and follow this thing, and I think it's going to help. And, and, and the book kind of goes like this. He says, okay, front end, he goes, okay, let me, let me explain something. You've put your faith in Christ. You say you believe in Jesus. You're going to follow him. 
And that means your faith is going to be tested to see if you're really going to follow through. And you're going to see tests in these specific areas. You're going to be tested on prejudice. And if your faith holds true, prejudice will be removed. And you're going to be your faith, if it's not showing good deeds, you don't really have faith. So your faith should be producing good deeds. And you need to be obedient to God, even when you don't want to. And then as Ryan talked last week, you need to control your tongue. Zip it or sometimes use it for something good. And then we get to this, chat, this part, James chapter 3, where he talks about wisdom. And that's where we're going to focus in today. And he instructs the readers of this letter, there's two kinds of wisdom. Okay, And the two kinds of wisdom are this. Wisdom from God and every other kind of wisdom. Okay, God's wisdom and every other kind of wisdom. And he wants his readers to understand this. That peace comes when we submit to God's wisdom and reject wisdom that comes from anywhere else. You know, we don't give too many messages around. But pretty much this is the message we give every week. Peace comes when we submit to God on a specific issue, his wisdom, and reject the wisdom that comes from everywhere else. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but it, destruction. Colossians chapter 2 talks about don't be deceived by these hollow philosophies and human traditions that seem good, but they don't really go where you want them to go. Look, take a look at this with me, if you would. That's James chapter 3. This is actually the passage we're going to look at here. It goes like this. Who is wise and understanding among, among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, God's wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, in your hearts do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find a little bit of disorder. Small amount. Wait, well, hold on. Oh, no, you will find every evil. You kidding me? Wait, does it really say that? Every evil. But wisdom that comes from heaven is pure and peace-loving, considerate and submissive and full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow... In peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. I have the MRV version of this verse that I'd like to read. I, it's the Mike Rutt version. And uh, when I sent this to Shannon to post, she kind of called. She said I was blasphemous and didn't know if she wanted to do it, but she did it. So here's how it goes. Who's able to make good decisions and shows intelligence among you? Let him show it by putting others first. But if you harbor, allow it to live inside of you, Resentful feelings of wanting someone else's success, good fortune, qualities, possessions, or me-first attitudes in your hearts. Don't brag about it or deny that you're doing it either. That's where you'll find disorder in every evil practice. That is man's best attempt at wisdom and Satan's tool to deceive. But God's version of wisdom is pure, peace-loving, and focuses on the well-being of others, not self. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Envy, the green-eyed monster. How, how dangerous is it? Serious. Well, just a couple things I thought would be helpful. It's, it's one of the seven deadly sins. I don't know if you know that. 
called a bone-rotting cancer. We talked about that. And, and you know the New Testament has these infamous lists of sins? And some have this and some have this. All of them, all of them include jealousy and or envy. Wow. And then it's also one of the Ten Commandments. It's the Tenth Commandment, and it's an interesting commandment. Don't covet. It goes like this. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, here's what's interesting about this one. All the Ten Commandments are actions. Don't kill, honor your father and mother, don't have gods, other gods, uh, don't, don't commit adultery, don't steal. This one is a little different. It says, don't covet. Coveting is an internal motivation. I can covet, I can covet Mark's house and he will never know about it until I act on it. Isn't that interesting? It's the only commandment that is an internal motivation which is why I believe that it leads to all kinds of evil. And I don't know how familiar you are with, with uh, the Bible, but uh, Soggy's speaking over in the building. And as we were preparing for this message, we, we just realized that there's this uh, thread of, of envy that runs throughout the history of humankind and releases every kind of evil and destroys peace in, in, in people's lives. Check this out. Satan, God's chief angel, number one in charge. There's God and then Satan, Lucifer, right? He envied God's position and was thrown out of heaven. So literally when we think out of envy comes every kind of evil, actually, quite literally, because of envy, every evil exists. Huh. That's I'm not going to read it just because time's tight here, but Isaiah 14, if you want to check me on that one. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Then the next scenario that happens, Genesis, Adam and Eve are created. Satan appears. He says to Eve, if you do what God told you not to do, eat that tree, you will have knowledge that he doesn't want you to have. Eve gets envious of God's knowledge. She eats the fruit. They're thrown out of paradise. Interesting. Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. Cain was envious that Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God and had a better, uh, he, he felt like God was showing favoritism to Abel. He kills his brother. He's thrown out and loses his family. There's Jacob who steals Esau's birthright and has to flee for his life. Joseph's brothers envied him because he was the favorite son and later in Israel's history, God was the king, and they had judges that ruled him, but all the other nations had kings ruling them. And Israel says this to God, we don't want judges anymore. Everyone else has kings. We want kings. God says, not a good idea, but I'll do it for you. And so they, Saul becomes the king because he was taller and stronger and handsomer than everyone else. That's why Dave got the job. 
But this is really, really... Uh, and, and so what happens? Saul is the king now, right? And uh, they go to battle with uh, the giant, remember? Remember that battle? And David comes in with a slingshot and kills him, right? And... Uh, they're coming back from battle, and this is a really interesting scenario here. In, in, uh, I'm actually going to read this. This isn't in, you won't see this up on the screen, but it, it's in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So, so uh, Saul, they go to battle. David kills Goliath, and they're coming back, and people, Israel's like, woohoo! Right? They're all excited. And uh, Saul's excited because they're, they're the best nation now, right? They're the winners of everything. And, and he, he appoints David to be the commander-in-chief of the army. And here, check this out. Here's what happens. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him commander in his army, an appointment that was applauded by the fighting men. They loved it. They thought he, David's the guy. And the officers... <laughs> intimate moment here. Uh, anyway, some, uh, the fighting men loved it, and the officers... Did as well, but something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David killed Goliath. Women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and cheer for King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song: "Saul has killed the thousands, and David the ten thousands." This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. Right. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Now, if you know how this story continues, what ends up happening, Saul keeps a jealous eye. He tries to kill him. He actually sets his life course on destroying David, the person who's going to take his throne. And it costs Saul his kingdom, God's blessing, and literally his life. David does eventually become the king, and the story doesn't end there because David's children try and overthrow him. And David takes someone else's wife that doesn't belong out of envy. It just goes on and on and on. Let's go back to James here for a second. The very next verses from where we stopped, it says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your evil desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. <laughs> Envy. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend them and get your own, you spend them on your own pleasures. So where does that leave us today? The question that's staring you and I in the face right now is this. So what? Right? Great stories. Envy takes a toll. Got it. Thanks, Mike. Let's call the band up here and sing some songs, right? The problem is envy and selfish ambition are destroying peace in our lives. So what do we do about it? Well, and it's just pretty straightforward. We submit to God's wisdom and reject and resist the wisdom that comes from anywhere else. 
So if I'm reading your minds right now, you're going, so what, am I supposed to have no ambition? Right? What do I do? I, should I not have desires? No. Let me be clear here. Desires, good. Envy, bad. God gave us a desire for, to have sexual intimacy. David took that desire and envied Uriah's wife. It did not belong to him. He took the wife as his own. Bad. <laughs> Ambition. Should I just let my lawn get brown? What? No, come on. No, I, I like a green lawn. There's actually nothing wrong with that. Should I burn my neighbor's lawn so mine looks best? <laughs> Selfish ambition. When we act in a way, regardless of others, that makes us achieve, that's selfish ambition. That's bad. And I was talking to my wife, Susie. I, when you're a uh, speaker, you talk to Susie's and they help you. Um, <laughs> so I, I thought, this is fantastic. I don't even have to call. I live with her. Uh, <laughs> uh, the humor is free today, by the way. So uh, here's the question. So you can reject, you reject wisdom that comes from other places and, and, and submit to God's. And so Susie said, so how do you know if you're submitting? How do, how do you know if it's God's, God's wisdom? And I kind of said, well, that's a good, uh, I know the answer, but you tell me. And she said, well, it's right there in those verses. It says that, that God's wisdom is pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. And it's done in humility. So here's the question. If you want to know, are you acting in God's wisdom? Just take a look at that list from James 3.18. Are your actions submissive? Are they pure? Because I think when you take your ambition and put it to the benchmarks that are listed here in James chapter 3.18, it's pretty clear whether you have selfish ambition or just ambition. Submit yourselves then, James 4.7, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. So translation is this. We act with the best interest of others rather than self. We seek God to change our hearts from being entitled and jealous and envious to being content with what we have and who we are and, and, who we are and gracious for all that God has given us. And I, I, just, I submit, here's four, four things that I'm going to ask you to do. If, if you want to know like a, a clear gauge, how, okay, so how can I know this? How can I know if I'm really, really being non-envious and using God's wisdom? I'm going I'm to challenge you on four things. First, stop the comparison game. You know, you know how that game, you all know how that game works, right? He has more than me. I'd like it. See, we don't play that game fairly. We don't go, they have less. That's where I should be, right? We never compare down. What's the point of that? It's ridiculous. Compare up. Stop the comparison game. The second thing is expressing gratitude daily. When you express your gratitude daily, that changes your heart from being entitled and focusing on what you don't have to being gracious and Understanding, oh my goodness, God, you've given me. I thought I, I just Susie and I were sitting in our front yard yesterday, 
which is beautiful, and talking about this. And I said, you know, I just, I, man, when I actually start to think of all the things that God has given me, I have cars and I have a house and I have a family and I have stuff that I don't even use. And yet somehow I'm focused on this other thing that someone else has. It's horrible. Stop the comparison game. Express gratitude daily. Refuse to harbor envy. See, I think that it's important that we understand when we do have envy, because we all do. The problem is that when, when we let it sit in our hearts, it starts to become the bone-eating cancer. The more I think about what Eric has and the fact that I don't have it, it starts to give me, just like that movie, it's hilarious. Like, oh man, I, you guys ever play this game if I won $20 million? Have you ever done that? And I, it goes like this, this is how I play it. Well, I would stay the same as I am now. And I wouldn't change and um, wouldn't tell people because I wouldn't want them to know. I'm very humble and... Here's the thing. In that movie, that's exactly what happens with Jack Black's character. He stays pretty much the same. He does build the White House, and there's some things that he does. But he, the person that changes is the person who's envious. <laughs> it's amazing. And as he allowed, in the movie, he allowed this envy to just live, and every single thing that happened tore him apart. Don't let it harbor in your heart. Deal with it. How? Number four. Stop comparison. Express, uh, the p- comparison game. Express gratitude daily. Refuse to allow harbor. And fourth, pray for those whom you're envious of. Check this out. It's in the, in the uh, 1800s, uh, early ni- late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, F.B. Meyer, he was a, a Christian speaker, uh, pastor, guy, and... Um, uh, in Northfield, Massachusetts. He held meetings in Northfield, Massachusetts, and large crowds just thronged to come hear him speak. Again, envy is no respecter of religious denomination. Then the great British Bible teacher, G. Morgan Campbell, or G. Campbell Morgan, excuse me, came to Northfield, and people were soon flocking to hear him. <laughs> Uh-oh. Meyer confessed at first he was envious. Then he said this, the only way I can conquer my feelings is to pray for Morgan Daly, which I do. Because what happens is he changes his attitude of what he used to have or what God was doing with him to going, look at the fantastic thing that God is doing in him. Thank you, God. It's a heart change. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you prayed for someone you're envious of? Me, me too. I'm right there with you. Not, not very recently. Better question, why bother? Well, because it changes your heart. And, and, and peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Again, peace comes when we submit to God's wisdom and resist the wisdom that comes from anywhere else. How many of you sitting out there today feel like this? 
you know what? Here's the problem in general. There is just too much purity, just too much peace-loving, too much consideration, too much submissiveness. I can't take all the mercy and good fruit and impartiality and sincerity in this world. There's, there's just too much. If we could just get rid of that stuff, the world would be such a good place. Anyone out there? Good. Because when we live in God's wisdom with regards to envy, that's the harvest we sow. Uh, Soggy was, we were talking about this, and and, um, he, he used this example. See, again, we talked, envy is this internal motivation, right? That, that, that it just sits there and no one knows about it. It's like a grenade, right? It's kind of sitting there and then you pull the pin. What happens when that, this is, don't worry, it's not a real grenade, okay? What happens when that grenade is activated? Carnage everywhere. Sometimes my carnage, sometimes your carnage, our carnage, others' carnage. Carnage! juxtaposed to God's wisdom, which says, when you plant with God's wisdom, you harvest like seeds. So one hand, I have a grenade. On the other hand, I have seeds. Oh, when I ask you this, what are you holding in your hands today? Do you have grenades or seeds that raise this harvest that we desire? We all desire it. The question is this, what are you putting at the center of your life, yourself or God, and his wisdom? I want to close out here this morning, and um, the band can come on, come on down as we get to, ready to transition to the time of uh, musical worship. And I think there's just a couple other thoughts that I would challenge you on. First, what are we putting at the center of our life? Is it our own wisdom, our own desires, our own belief that we can handle stuff, or is it God's? Secondly, is do we really believe that God is enough? I mean, seriously. If, if, you, if you believe that God was enough, would we be challenged and tempted to try all these other things? question, but I think the answer is pretty obvious. And finally, when will we realize that our dependence on our own wisdom is actually the thing that's destroying our relationships? The Old Testament history proved it out, and I think if you explored your life, you'd find the same thing. Ultimately, envy puts me at the center of my heart. First Timothy 6 6 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on this too. If you are struggling with a specific issue of envy in your life, I've given you four steps that you can try and use. Memorize this simple verse. And when you're struggling with envy, just say this godliness with contentment is great gain. It's like, I think Dave says this, but I want you more, God. I want you more.
when we seek God's wisdom, we put Christ at the center of our life and remove the envy and self. And uh, we're going to, again, we're going to transition. Nick's going to lead us here this morning into a time of worship. And I just challenge you as we think through this, what's owning the center of your life? Is God enough? The Prince of Peace, he was called, Jesus was. How do we think we can achieve peace through ourselves or through Jesus we're going to take our, again, we're going to take an offering as we do this this morning. And uh, we, we say this all the time. If, if this is just another chance for you to express that God has control of your wallet and that you trust him with your finances, this isn't a time of pressure. If you don't feel like giving, that's your, that's your decision. You don't want you to feel pressured. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we uh, are so grateful for all that you have given us. And uh, I think that it's easy to get sidetracked by the things that we don't have because somehow we feel that we deserve more. And uh, uh, forgive us. Forgive us for that. This morning I pray that you would... uh, Speak to our hearts and help us understand that you, you desire purity and all the good and that when we submit to you, we can have that. Thank you for loving us so much. I ask this in your name, amen.